Are you a developer or conversational designer looking to excel in the latest AI platforms? Or maybe you're in marketing looking for the latest in audio branding and customer engagement. Or maybe you're a startup, a business owner, an investor, or simply want to know about the future of voice technology. Then Voice Summit held in Newark, New Jersey this July is for you. Get your ticket at voicesummit.ai. That's voicesummit.ai. We can't wait to hear your voice and meet you at the conference. Nate Troller is the COO and president of Orbita, also one of this year's sponsors of Voice. In this episode, you'll hear him talk about how his company is transforming digital healthcare through the application of next-generation voice, chatbots, and other conversational AI technologies. You'll also hear him discuss what it means for Voice now that Amazon is HIPAA eligible, how Voice can help seniors aging in place, why only 29% of medical answers given by a virtual assistant voice-enabled technology could cause harm if implemented, and how businesses can start thinking about adjusting their current content to be voice ready. Welcome back to Inside Voice. Today, I am interviewing Nate Trollor. He is the president and COO of Orbita, and Orbita is also one of our sponsors for Voice this year. Welcome, Nate. Thank you for being here. Hi, Carrie. It's great to be on this uh, session with you. So can you start by telling us a little bit more about what Orbita does and how the company got started a few years ago? Sure thing. So Orbita is a software company, first and foremost, and what we provide to our clients are technologies and tools to facilitate creating healthcare-based virtual assistants that take advantage of voice-assistive technologies like Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant, but also chatbots. So the theme here is around patient engagement, helping healthcare organizations reach their patients between care episodes in the clinic to make sure they're staying on their medications, to supporting them with chronic conditions, et cetera. And we do that through virtual assistant solutions that are powered often by voice and and as well as chatbot, but that provide a hands-free conversational assistant where patients can simply ask questions, access assessments, find out uh, information about symptoms and treatments, et cetera. That second part of the question is probably the most interesting one. And in fact, we got into the space in healthcare really around just generally digital health and connected health. Our ambition was to be a technology company that would pull together data from lots of different healthcare devices and provide a way for healthcare organizations to act on that data in real time. So imagine somebody wearing a Fitbit, you know, as their heart rate is being recorded, if there were through the collection of that data, any anomalies so that the, uh, the system would respond and act on that. And as we developed our platform in support of those general connected health applications, the Amazon technology, Alexa in particular, came out and we thought, well, that's just another connected healthcare device in the end. It just happens that the modality of the interface is through voice. So anybody can report their health and wellness and access information through a voice assistant technology. So we applied our technology, almost coming backwards to it, applied our technology to the use of it to collect information through voice assistive technology. And uh, we rolled that out in the end of 2016. And in fact, at a conference that Pete was running down in Washington, D.C., Pete being the uh, organizer for the voice conference this, this July. And uh, it was extremely well-received. And through that, we got some of our first pedigree clients, including the Mayo Clinic. And uh, it was just from there on, voice-focused solutions. And we've really taken that idea to the next level, which is uh, supporting voice and conversational AI healthcare agents generally. 
And uh, since that first rollout, um, gosh, now about two and a half years ago, we've got about uh, 40 customers running on our platform from, you know, some of the major health systems and major uh, payers out there to life science companies, pharmaceutical companies who are using our technology to power medication adherence and treatment support application trials, specific name drugs. That's the, uh, you know, 60 second history. Yeah. And so what has been some of the feedback so far of the companies you've worked with in the last couple of years? You know, are they feeling it's they're getting better data? They're getting more information? What are they hearing most? Well, the initial solutions that were out there were, um, I will say, candidly, some of the very earliest ones were tests and trials. You know, what would it mean to take information services that are already available on digital channels like the web and mobile and move them into a voice first world? And that's what we did with the Mayo Clinic, among others, early on. So the Mayo Clinic's first aid skill was an example of an application we helped to power a couple of years ago now, more than that. And uh, what they found through that experience was creating an awareness of, and buzz around voice-first content services that would help educate patients. And so that was the first tranche, I would say, of voice applications in healthcare, these information services. And the feedback from that, well, you know, ranged from, okay, I get it. I can see how these hand-free experiences can drive value. Where it's gone from there is more patient care and patient support applications where, for example, a patient who has just been treated for a particular condition or just diagnosed with a particular condition is afforded a support application, voice or offered a support application, voice application to help them become aware and manage their um, condition through a voice assistant. And the feedback on that is that patients who are using those kind of experiences, a voice-first application for treatment support, are more likely to be aware of the treatment protocols that they have to follow, more likely to remember that if they've heard it through a voice experience, and less likely to make mistakes. There's a great study done um, just uh, about a year and a half ago by one of our partners, Warrell up in Minneapolis that put some data to that and suggested that patients who used a voice assistant that had been recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes were more likely to remember and adhere to their treatment if they received the support and education through a voice assistant versus just, say, a paper brochure. That's um, starting to, We're starting to see more and more data in support of that. With the announcement in April that Alexa's offering, or Amazon's offering, a HIPAA-eligible version of Alexa. We are now seeing a flood of interest in these more clinical applications. And for those that aren't familiar with HIPAA, is a uh, U.S.-based regulation administered by the uh, Department of Health, I think, that imposes obligations on healthcare systems about how they handle personal health information, things like you know, information about your health and wellness, things that would be on a medical record. And if that information is delivered over a voice assistant, then it falls into the category of being privacy and security regulations of HIPAA. So with Amazon's announcement, now it opens up a whole new category of applications that can transmit this protected health information. And uh, the interest in that is really surged interest in voice as a uh, almost a, a clinical virtual assistant. Yeah. I mean, I think that's tremendous. I know they announced that in April. Can you describe, if you know, what makes voice able to do that? Because they've been so protective of the HIPAA stuff when it came to anything with your phone or online, but they seem so much more open to voice. Do you know why that is? Well, I I don't know if they're more open or less open than other channels, whether it's an interactive voice response system. Like, uh, I mean, if you, you can call up your doctor 
speak with a interactive voice response system and access information and share information over a standard phone. The difference here is now we're using, say, Alexa as the virtual assistant. As long as the service provider, Amazon and, and Orbita, is willing to sign the business associates agreement, which is the legal contract that describes the um, obligations of both parties in ensuring security and privacy. And as long as they are actually adhering to all the obligations that HIPAA requires to ensure protection of data, then you are at least covering yourself. It doesn't remove the obligations to make sure that data is, in, is secure and private across the board, but at least you're um, kind of contractually got to have all the things in place. So What's changed is that Amazon is willing to sign a business associates agreement with um, the uh, what's called covered entities. These are hospitals or payers that are that have the data that needs to be transmitted. What technically has happened behind the scenes, uh, Amazon is you know sharing all this information, but you can assume that everything that needs to be in place, encryption of the data, the insurance that you know that data will not be exposed in any way or accessed in any way that means violation of the those agreements. It's all in place. It's as much a technical thing that needs to happen as a regulatory thing. So Amazon has uh, put in place all those components to make sure that they're in adherence to HIPAA. That's incredible. It's great to hear. And I love how, you know, what you're doing in this space is allowing seniors to age in place at home a lot better, creating a lot more independence. Is that part of why you guys do what you do as well? Well, it sure is. Um, you know, elder care, aging in place is a subset of the larger remote patient care, remote care ecosystem. So our clients include elder care facilities, assisted living facilities who are using voice and conversational AI as a way to improve engagement with their population, their residents. One example was one early one that we supported was a company called Libertana, uh, California, that is using virtual assistant voice assistants to provide ways for their um, residents to do things like just ask for basic help, ask questions, find out what's on the activity schedule, things like that. And importantly, those um, hands-free experiences uh, are benefit the, the individuals, but it also provides a way for the on-call staff to be able to respond more contextually to the needs of the patient. So it's not just somebody hitting a button saying, I need help. If somebody's saying, I can't find my TV remote <laughs> or something you know, as specific as that. So that's a use case that we think is of high value. And in particular, because not all of these individuals, particularly elderly individuals, are able to use traditional digital technologies. You know, if you could have a laptop or a tablet or a smartphone, but if they have their vision impaired or for one reason or another can't use those technologies, most of them have a voice. And what's interesting is that a lot of them have learned how to adapt to communicating with a voice power virtual assistant. They understand that it's a robot you know, using their parlance, but they often kind of treat it like a, a human. And that delivers a level of uh, value that I would say in the early days, not everybody appreciated this isolation factor and loneliness factor of the aging population is a big one. And I've shared the story many times of one of my epiphany moments was loaning my Amazon Echo device to 82-year-old uh, friend of my parents who was vision impaired. And when I came to check in on him a couple of weeks later, he told me that it had changed his life. This idea that he could just ask, you know, play some Willie Nelson or who won the baseball game last night really was transformative for him on a level that just goes beyond healthcare, right? It's, it's personal care and isolation, addressing isolation and loneliness. 
I love that. I mean, that's what fascinates me about voice is this ability to create connection. And like you said, I don't think people understand the level of loneliness that a lot of people feel, but especially those in that aging population. So that's such a wonderful story that you shared. You had written on your website that about 29% of medical answers given by a virtual assistance voice-enabled technology device could cause harm if implemented. Why is this happening and how is Orbita looking to improve the quality and the accuracy of these answers given? Yeah, I, I remember that stat. I don't remember the source of that, but um, we feel that it is the content that defines the experience, particularly in a healthcare application that is fundamentally an information service or a, a health coach or a wellness coach type of experience. And Orbit as a company is not in the business of creating clinically approved and vetted content. Rather, our partners and our clients are in the business of doing that. So I've I mentioned Mayo Clinic a couple of times. They're a quintessential example. We work with a particular division at the Mayo Clinic called the Global Business Solutions Team, who has the responsibility, among others, of making high-value, clinically vetted content available in digital forms to the Mayo Clinic at large, but also to other partners of the Mayo Clinic. So they actually monetize this um, 140 years worth of knowledge from the Mayo Clinic, highly um, vetted by the clinicians of the Mayo and um, highly valued because of the brand and pedigree of Mayo themselves. So we work with the Mayo to help them take their content, which is already designed for digital channels, and make it consumable through these conversational and voice-first agents. So a classic example, I mentioned the first aid skill. Taking first aid content that, that Mayo has that's already available on their website now, you can go out to mayoclinic.org and uh, find answers to questions like how to, how to treat a sunburn. And that content optimized for the digital channel web and mobile is great, but if you don't just take two pages of text about sunburn and put it into an Alexa skill, it doesn't work that way. Well, working with a Mayo, we recognize that two things needed to happen. One, we needed that content to be in a form of a, a knowledge base that was much more optimized for conversation. And then the second one was it needed to be deployed in a way that allowed the Mayo content specialist to be able to curate that knowledge base. And curation being the word of uh, record here, because in the end, what we're doing is not just like automating the conversion of digital content to voice. We're helping with assistive technologies that take advantage of AI and natural language processing, but also providing the Mayo tools that allow them to curate the questions or the answers, as well as the question. So let's use that example I gave a second ago where it's about sunburn. So if somebody says, you know, how do I treat sunburn? Or what do I do if I got sunburn blisters, which implies a more serious condition? The Mayo Clinic has the answers to those questions, but the specifics of that answer need to be delivered in a way that's quite consumable through a voice. So the answer shouldn't be, here's Alexa reading two pages of text on how to do it. It needs to enter into a conversation and say, I understand you're asking about sunburn and blisters. It may come back and say, where are your blisters located? Right? Because the answer to how to treat it is contextual to other information that may have not been provided. So that's the difference between just a question answering system and a conversational assistant. So we're working with the Mayo to support the curation of content for voice-first delivery. And that work was the inspiration behind a new platform module that we call Orbita Answers, which was specifically designed to support conversational question answering skills 
delivered around medical content and trusted medical content. Now, I know in conjunction with this, you had on your website this great graphic where it had 20 years, five waves of digital disruption with voice kind of being the newest things. For those that are in healthcare and beyond, you know, maybe people have a small business or they're part of a large agency. Do you have any suggestions or tips for how we can take, as you said earlier, our current content that we have online and convert it into voice? Anything that maybe we can do on our own or things to be thinking of going forward? Well, I mean, if you're in the healthcare space, you should think about Orbita to start, not to, to overplug, but um, I think getting that right and doing that right requires a special set of technologies and uh, best practices. But just talking about the best practices for a second, one of the things that is key is to understand that healthcare content is made up of concepts and relationships between those concepts. So an example would be, let's use the sunburn one. What are the symptoms of a sunburn? So symptoms is a concept and sunburns is a concept. And the relationship between those two is defined by a set of information assets. So the technology that's best suited, so this is the best practice technology of record right now, is a notion of a knowledge graph, which is a data structure that allows you to create those relationships in a way that helps you serve them up in a question-answering environment. So think of Alexa as the interface that's going to be serving up those answers. If if an individual patient or otherwise says, what are the symptoms of a sunburn? You want a knowledge graph, a data structure that can retrieve that information and serve it up in a conversational way. If they say, what are the symptoms of a spider bite? Same thing, except now the relationship is between a concept symptoms and a particular condition, a spider bite. If they say, what are the symptoms of a scorpion bite? It may be that the knowledge base doesn't have the concept of a scorpion, but it knows that it falls into this category of a condition, and it can infer that. And so it can come back and with some intelligence say, I know you're asking me about symptoms of scorpion bite. I don't have the answer, but here's some information about a related topic, spider bite, and at least guide the user to some potentially related information without actually going out and giving an answer that might not be uh, the right answer. So getting back to your stat about 29% of the answers coming back being uh, medically risky. A lot of that is based on this idea of question-answering systems that just are hard-coded and don't have the ability to relax or aren't curated in a way that's clinically vetted. So those are the best practice thoughts about that are understand your data structure, make sure that you have a way for non-technical people to review and curate the voice experience and the knowledge base that's behind that. Otherwise, you run the risk of assuming that your AI is going to have not only the best answers, but the best understanding of what kind of questions could be coming in. Yeah, it makes sense. And it actually feels very similar to how chatbots work. Would you agree? Yep. You know, it really is no difference. I think a chatbot and a voice assistant, the only difference is the modality of the interaction. If you're speaking or typing or touching or gesturing. I told somebody at a conference, mentioned a conference, you know, some time ago that I predict in 10 years, we're going to be talking about brain to computer interfaces. It's just as conversational. It's just the, the modality of interface is the only difference. Yeah, no, it's fascinating stuff. Now, you are a sponsor of our voice event this July. What made you want to become involved in this event? We were a participant last year. 
thought it was an excellent conference. It was run so well. The tracks were so diverse. The speakers are representing a whole cross-section of enthusiasts. You know, we, we were focused on healthcare, and there was a strong healthcare component to the conference, and uh, there will be one this year as well. Just the enthusiasm around the possibilities of voice-first applications is our main priority in participating this year. And um, we want to be in the forefront of that. We want to be perceived as an innovator. This is our outlet for doing that. You know, we've been involved in conferences that um, MoDev, one of the conference organizers, has run before, and all of them have been excellent. The channels of and the tracks for the conferences, the speakers, just the way it's organized and run as a sponsor, it really is a no-brainer. And frankly, the fact that it's in Newark was just a couple hours from Boston to maybe four hours from Boston makes it uh, easy and accessible for us. So we like that too. Great. Yeah, we are so grateful you're a part of it and excited to have you there. Where can people connect either with you personally or your company online and social media? Well, you can find us online on our website, Orbita.ai. Orbita is like orbital without the L on the end. We also are on Orbita underscore INC on Twitter and LinkedIn. My uh, email is nate at orbita.ai, so I'm easy to find. And uh, actually, my name, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. So I would look forward to connecting with anybody who's planning to attend or thinking about attending. Um, I'd encourage you to definitely attend if you can make it, if you have any interest in voice-assistive technologies. Thank you so much, Nate. That has been wonderful. And we look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Yeah, looking forward to it, Carrie. Thanks for the opportunity. 